Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, by the way, John Neighbors coming on in a bit. We're going to talk hogs. And then we are doing traveling for work in figuring it out. But we're doing something different. We are drafting SEC offensive coordinators. And I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Me too. This is everyone's obviously going to love this. They're going to agree with all of our good opinions. So I'm happy for all the positive feedback. I need a little bit of a pick me up in the beginning of this week. So we're going to have nothing but positive feedback on this. Surely this will not go horribly wrong and blow up in our face. And we will not get cold taked uh, by any of this. We won't. We have 10 new offensive coordinators in the SEC. We were talking about this yesterday. That is an insane thought. 10. In the SEC, there are 14 teams in the SEC. Might I remind those of you who don't keep track of that stuff? And yep. by the way, that includes Mizzou and that includes AM. Though they have head coaches, obviously, who are forking over play calling duties, allegedly. That's what we're told. So you pointed this out, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to to break down offensive coordinators this way. We were talking about this right before we came on air. The longest tenured OC in the SEC is who? Oh, man. I'm glad you asked, Connor. It is Joey Lynch from Vanderbilt, who was hired two years ago. And the funniest thing about this, I was talking to Drew Page yesterday, and he was like, I was like, who do you think the longest tenured uh, SEC offensive coordinator is? And he goes, immediately goes, well, it can't be Vandy. They they go through coaches about every two years. And I was like, well, <laughs> they do go through two coaches about every two years. However, two years is the reigning champion. Fun fact about Joey Lynch, his dad, Bill Lynch, first football coach that I ever covered back in the day at Indiana. Other fun fact, Joey Lynch, father of six. Other, other fun fact, if you go to Joey Lynch's Wikipedia page and you find that detail about his six kids, it links to a story that was written by my brother. So fun little, oh yeah, other fun Joey Lynch fact. Um, He wasn't even Vandy's OC in 2021, but... He did steal play calling duties from David Rye in the middle of fall camp, like one week into fall camp. And I remember hearing about that when it happened because it was after Clark Lee's debut that he told everybody, oh, yeah, he's been calling plays for us since the first week of uh, like after the first week of fall camp. And I thought to myself, how bad could David Rye have been? How bad was he to where he got demoted that quickly? Needless to say, uh, David Rye was one and done with Vandy, and then Joey Lynch got promoted to OC. So, like, technically, he's only held the position since 2022, but because he was on Vandy's staff as opposed to, like, Mike Dembrock at LSU, Charlie Weiss Jr. at Ole Miss, Bob Sale at Florida, Joey Lynch – by virtue of being on staff, he wins the tiebreaker and is our longest tenured OC in the SEC. That's I just bonkers. Two things as you were talking, uh, as you described how many kids Vandy's OC has, I realized I might be about to get cooked. Um, and the second thing is, that's the most Clark Lee story of all time, isn't it? The, that foxhole guy is just like, yeah, actually, we've secretly had a different offensive coordinator than all of you media types realize. If you guys watch film, you would understand who was calling the plays here at Vanderbilt University. If he can manage six kids, he can manage an offense. He knows what he's doing. That's, all right. Yeah. Out of respect. These are your new offensive coordinators in the SEC for those who have not tracked this. Alabama, Tommy Reese, Arkansas, Danny Nose, Auburn, Philip Montgomery, Georgia, Mike Bobo, Kentucky, Liam Cohen, Mizzou, Kirby Moore, Mississippi State, Kevin Barbet, South Carolina, Dowell Loggins, Tennessee, 
Joey Halsley in Texas A&M, the one and only, a lot of haters, a lot of homies, Bobby Petrino. Yeah, we went Mike Jones. That's fair. Yeah, a lot of haters and a lot of homies for Bobby Petrino. I was talking about Some this on with- his own staff. <laughs> I was talking about this with with, uh, with Greg McElroy last week. Uh, there are not a whole lot of wow, out of the park, splashy OC hires. And I don't know that splashy is the word that we would use to describe any of these. We talked about being underwhelmed by Georgia and Alabama, the hires that they made. I mean, going out and getting a Garrett Riley or getting like if Jeff Levy had gone to Alabama, I would have considered those moves splashy by OC standards. And if we were including Texas and Oklahoma in this, which we're not because they're not officially members of the SEC in the year 2023, and these things can change very, very quickly. But if we were including them in our draft, I'd have Jeff Levy probably as number one on my board. I don't think that's crazy. That's the crazy thing, right? Is when we started kicking this around, it's like you pretty like, and and people who are going to listen to this list, think about it like this. If someone asked you this six months ago, you'd probably be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could probably rank these coordinators. But then all of those guys are gone. <laughs> it's hard. Everyone who you think is good is gone, basically. So, like, it's like, it's one of those, any of the last five, 10 years, I'd be like, I can give you a tight five of dudes I would love to hire that are currently in the SEC. But, like, as you start going through this list, if you think we're crazy, really tell me why you think we're crazy. Because yes. all of those guys, like, Levy, even, like, Bill, where would you put Bill O'Brien on this list? to be? That's a great question. I was thinking about that, too. If Bill O'Brien... Okay, just with this group, this this current group, so you just replace him for Tommy Reese and you just, I mean, he's top two or three. Yeah, yeah, he sure is. And he just got fired. He didn't get fired. He went to the Patriots. That's not officially fired. He was... um, He was allowed to leave and not beg to stay from what everything that we've been told. A mutual parting of ways, you could say. We can't... Officially call it fired. I, I think that that's doing him a little bit of service. I think that's two homies kind of is just like whenever I'm just like done with a camera or whatever. And I'm like, yo, John, can you just like take this camera off me real quick, bro? Like, I I don't need it anymore. That's what happened to Bill O'Brien, which we'd save it in uh, Billich. <laughs> yes. We couldn't do this a week ago because Todd Munkin obviously was still at Georgia. But now the yeah. fact that he is off to the NFL, it opens it up. And I was trying to think about this in so many different ways about my number one on the board. And man, it is hard. It is really, really hard. So like I said, like you said, if you think that this is an obvious thing, um, sit down and actually do it, do, do the exercise yourself, do your own rankings. Um, this is more going to be about drafting for personal pe- preference, who you think is going to elevate their team's respective offense. And, you know, perhaps like who could use this as a springboard for the next opportunity. This is not as simple as saying, oh, this person will be the offensive coordinator for the offense that finishes best in college football. There's we can look at this with more nuance. If we were going to do that, then obviously like this. okay, it's Alabama, it's Tennessee, it's Georgia. Like this, this is a pretty boring discussion to be able to have. But we're doing it this way because we're talking about the impact that these OCs are making, or at least how we think they could be impacting their respective teams. That goes into play calling. It goes into total autonomy, all these different things. So quick rule. We don't need to get a whole lot of caveats here, but a quick rule. We're only drafting OCs. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't draft someone like Lane or Heupel. Uh, both of them have admittedly given up full, full-time play calling duties 
So this wasn't like a situation similar to Jimbo and college station. Like it wasn't like Jimbo or Eli Drinkwitz. They're now just giving play calling duties up for the first time. So you can't draft one of those guys that could definitely hurt someone like a Charlie Weiss jr. A Joey Halsley, because we know that those guys have help. It hurts kind of their perceived impact. Um, Will, maybe you'll approach this differently, but I'm kind of treating this as the guys that I want to lead my offense if I had to build a team today. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the only caveat that matters because to your point, I know fans are going to want to be like, well, Georgia's top 20 in offense or top 30 in offense nationally. They're third in the SEC. You guys didn't even draft Mike Bobo. It's like, right. But imagine if we had, you know, given one of these guys to Georgia. So it's not about like, there. this is a very big like locker room, like bulletin board material thing, but it's really like, yeah, Alabama and Georgia need to be pretty much in the top 30. Me or you, I feel like could get them in the top 50 objectively because their talent is so good. And if you just ran inside every time, you'd probably beat seven or eight teams with that talent. Exactly. It's going to emphasize kind of how we think these guys scheme, not so much what is your talent on the field. Right. So I will ask you, I will defer. Would you like first pick or second two? Second two. Oh, man. Oh, that's hard. And we'll just trade I'll... off picks after that. Yeah. That That's probably easiest to, to do it. We're not doing snake draft or anything like that with two people. I, I like second two. I like the value there. I was really hoping you were going to take first pick. Okay. Um, all right. So I will start us off. I am going to start with, I'm not going to start at the place. Everybody thinks I'm going to start. I'm not going to, I'm starting Bobby Petrino. Screw it. <clears throat> Let's do it. All right. So I get it. I get all the pushback. This is the beauty of a coordinator draft though. I don't got to be best friends with them. Okay. I don't even need to have a post-game drink with him. I just need Bobby Petrino to be able to develop quarterbacks. I need him to be able to dial up looks, and I know that he can still do that. Still do that. My question about him and a lo- it being like a long-term fit at AM with Jimbo is more so about kind of their egos, how they're going to clash. That's not necessarily a question that we have to answer in this setting, for those saying, well, what, what has Bobby Petrino done since Lamar Jackson, even though like he should get some credit at least for Lamar Jackson because he was a three-star recruit. He did develop him. I realized it fell off in very horrific fashion very shortly thereafter when Lamar left Louisville. But still, I just watched the Missouri State-Arkansas game again. And oh boy, man, he's he still got it. He still got it. Like I'm, I'm more, I'm more of the Petrino, like the pro Petrino crowd now than ever. Um, they scored 17 points the first 20 minutes of that game in Fayetteville, and I remember thinking that day he's out scheming Barry Odom, like he's keeping Barry Odom on his heels. That right. play where I really was sold. Okay, dude, still got it. This, this is the Bobby Petrino that I know and love. It's 17-17. Late third quarter, Missouri State goes for it at midfield on fourth and one, which you're an FCS team playing at Arkansas. You're going to go for that every single time. And if you don't, get out of my stadium. Right, Um, yeah. They're lined up in the shotgun. You assume it's some sort of a run because they've got two tight ends lined up in line on the right side. The outside tight end run blocks. The tight end second furthest from the right sneaks inside. He catches the DB kind of napping, eyes locked into the quarterback. He slips right past him, 47-yard walk-in touchdown. Petrino still got that stuff. He still has it. And you can say so many things about Bobby Petrino. I totally get it. I do. He might be the most hated OC of this group. 
<laughs> and I'm not saying that AM fans are totally going to love everything that he does. And him and he and Jimbo having great back and forth. I need that in my life. I fully anticipate that. But I think he's still got it. I really do. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that as long as he gets control of that offense, AM's going to be better off for it. You don't like that pick. I am scrambling because I two picks back to back after that was blowing my mind. Sorry. I that okay. So I'm gonna be honest with you. I was embarrassed at how high I had Bobby Petrino. How high you have off him? the board? Now that he's off the board, I can tell you that I had him fourth. And okay. I think and I think, but you gotta think about what comes with that too. And but see, like I have tiers. I can't say who's in the tiers, but he was definitely in the second tier. Like if okay. you I would have tried to steal him from you. So that's actually an interesting pick. So <clears throat> Got two back to back. Number one is going to be Mike Denbrock. Um, <sighs> okay. Now, not as an LSU homer, and trust me, the relationship we had with Mike Denbrock was similar to the relationship that Georgia fans had with Mike Bobo at periods of time. There are whole games, three quarters of several games, where we were just like, "What is this guy doing?" Mm-hmm. But if you look at the totality of the season, right, the second half against FSU on, when you talk about, you know, the way he dominated Florida, the way that he dominated Ole Miss from an offensive standpoint, the way that they beat Alabama, the way that Brian Kelly trusted him and he had a great two-point conversion, the way that the team got better over the course of a year and not worse. And, you know, we're talking about <clears throat> the fourth highest scoring SEC attack, and that's the best coming back. You know what I'm saying? So I started thinking about it and I had him lower, but then I was like, well, we know this guy can win the SEC West. We know that he can put points on the board. And we know that this pick can't look very stupid because he's bringing back a lot of his offensive firepower. So even if they dip to fifth or sixth in the SEC, he's like insulated. You know what I'm saying? So I I think that Denbrock, and the thing about Denbrock too, is that just like Reese, you know, he had some success at Notre Dame, but then he went to Cincinnati, led them to a playoff appearance, played it, Decently close well, but I'm not going to say they played well against Alabama, but again, who plays well against Alabama? So I think that the the bad, you know, obviously he was let go and Notre Dame fans are probably jumping up and down saying, oh, you don't know. All right, I get it. But where he's at right now, taking an AAC team to beat Brian Kelly, right, go to the playoff for the first time a, a quote-unquote mid-major has ever done that and, and with Ritter and the great, I mean, got Ritter drafted. And then now you see what he's doing in LSU's offense with very little turnaround time. I think that's great. Is that, where would you have him? I had him at third. Okay. And I I I did not anticipate him having like him being that high on my board, but that's that's kind of the way that it goes with this exactly. List. Um, but the Cincinnati part is 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 key. And trust me, we remember 2021. I was heavily invested in Cincinnati. I watched a good mm-hmm. amount of Cincinnati's offense that year, and I thought to myself, okay, this isn't the most explosive thing in the world. But I like watching Desmond Ritter play. I think Desmond Ritter makes great decisions. I think he has really developed. If you kind of go back early in his career and you look at some of the the decisions that he would make, and you're just like, God, this is awful. This is terrible. And Mike Denbrock is largely associated with his development because he had total autonomy on that side of the ball as well. A key caveat. And then I kept thinking about the moments last year of what frustrated me about LSU. And it was like, okay, the opener against FSU, how in the world is Kayshawn Booty not getting the football? Why does Florida State's linebacker have more touches at this point in the game than Kayshawn Booty, right? Right. And I remember thinking, hmm, <laughs> that's bad. But also, then you'd see him stop a route, and then you'd say to yourself, well, how much of that is on the OC and how much of that is on the guy trying and, and being interested and engaged? And then you would see stuff like, okay – why why can't they get Jaden Daniels to take these deep shots? Why can't they get him to trust these receivers? 
how much of that is on an OC dialing up looks. And obviously you have to develop a quarterback that's part of it. And how much of that is what's between the ears and whether or not a quarterback is willing to take those chances. So like amidst the circumstances, I agree with you. Like, I think he's worthy of being high on this list, given the freshman tackles, given the fact that like you get a quarterback who shows up kind of late in spring camp. I, I have no problem with Den Brock going there. Yeah. And just one thing before I move on to the next one, I think that what really turned on the light bulb for me is instead of focusing on Booty and his lack of production, looking at neighbors and what he actually yeah. did for the team, because the story was Booty. But then you look up and you're like, is, as we've talked about, is neighbors the best receiver coming back? Because that dude was involved in the offense and he looked great, but everybody was looking at Booty. And so therefore he got overshadowed. Um, on to my next pick. Now, here comes the sicko pick. We've already got the boomer in the barn. We have the steadfast Mike Denbrock. You know it's coming. Our boy, Barbe. Oh, I love it. Okay. Okay. So this is this is a great point in this discussion to remember that this is highly subjective and personal preference mm-hmm. is clearly playing a part in you taking him third. I don't think so, because I think a lot of these guys have bad film. I think for Barbe, he's 40 years old. If you look at his last two stops, he has this App State team that he was the OC for last year that was just, I mean, electric. We watched them, you know, they had game day. They put up 61 against, you know, one of the best DCs in college, our boy, um, in North Carolina. And then we have... You know, the losses that this team had, you know, they finished with a not too impressive record if you, you know, kept up with them. They ended up six and six. But in these losses, they're scoring 30 points, 40 points. You know, their offense, that that pistol look is why they were even a talking point. And so I, I think that's impressive. And then, of course, he was the OC for Jim McElwain at Central Michigan, who, you know, who knows often to get back away? No, but same deal here. You know, you go through the games, they're losing, you know, they're putting up 38 points in losses. They're putting up, you know, 24 in a loss, you know. So I think that that makes him a little bit until he's won at different places. Even though he's young, he has a style. He has an identity. He's going to, you know, he's never had talent like this. And while you could say he's never faced competition like this, I think at the same time, like there are two different kinds of OCs you want. You want, um, you know, LSU had it in 2019, right? You had your coach E. Um, and then you had like the young gun. And, and I think that that's the other style of OC that you want. I think that you want a dude who's a riser um, exactly the way Mississippi state did with our net, you know, when they made that higher, you know, guy with an identity, young guy. And I think that we're going to be looking at Barbe in a couple of years, the same way is like, how did Mississippi state end up with both of these guys? How are they going to keep both of these guys? There was a, a lot to like, I, I think from him, I was a little bit lower. I had him at eighth on my board. Okay. Um. So, so a little bit lower. I knew I wasn't getting him. I, I, I knew there was no <laughs> chance. Smart. Whatsoever. No yeah. new competition. Yeah. Which, which is perfectly fine. I'm not saying he's the eighth best, but um. and from an efficiency standpoint, you heard Zach Arnett say on these airwaves, that's what stood out to him the most. Mm-hmm. 18th in yards per pass attempt, 21st in yards per yards per rush, 22nd in yards per play, 23rd in scoring, 26th in yards per game. He had a really good year. And even though you look back at that game against AM, and we were like, <laughs> I mean, they weren't exactly putting it on him. 1,300, or it was what, three, yeah, 315 yards of total offense, like mm-hmm. 17 points. It wasn't an offensive blitzkrieg, so to speak. But at the same time, the question that I have is, and this this will, if he does this, he will rise significantly on my board. If he can take Will Rogers, who has played three years in the Mike Leach air raid, and he can convert him with some of these progressions and some of these things that he's seeing post-snap, not just pre-snap, but post-snap. If he can flip that mindset with a new scheme and make him 
that guy who's not just, oh, it's all just cumulative numbers, and he becomes a more efficient player, to me, that is the best way that he that somebody like him can rise on this list. But I agree with you. A lot of guys that we're going to bring up could be in very different places in a year or two, and we're going to be like, oh, God, we're way too low on them. So you're already, though, I mean, very high on, on Kevin This Barber. is chaos. Our lists are completely different. I can't wait to see who you have next. Okay. Uh, you you should know who I have next. Um, we've got Liam Cohen at, at my for my second pick, fourth overall here. Um, okay. So I'm surprised that I got him. I thought you were going to take him on the, on the, on the two, three there. Um, and I debated taking him one overall. Didn't want to look like, didn't want to look like too big of a Homer because, um, we might be related. I genuinely like the dude get along very well, but the point that I keep coming back to with him and for those who don't really understand the impact and why Kentucky fans wanted this guy back so badly. And they're watching that Thursday night football game with Baker Mayfield thinking to themselves, man, I just hope that this doesn't go well because I want this guy back on board Mm -hmm. where they were after is significant and where they were before is significant in 2021. When Liam comes on board, They needed a total transformation. And all he does is step in and lead Kentucky's best offense in 14 years. They improved by 11 points per game that year. And that remember, that's after 2020, wherein nobody played any defense and Kentucky's offense was still that bad. They were really, really bad in 2020. They they were unwatchable. They, They truly were. And then he leaves and they get worse by 12 points per game with the same starting quarterback with Rich Gangarello. And I realized Levis was hurt for part of the year, but you get what I'm saying. There is a reason why Liam Cohen's salary da- like doubled two and a half times yeah. in just a, what, like a 14 month stretch. I mean, that usually does not happen. And part of that is because Rich Gangarello was not good at his job. There was a ton of frustration over the, the use of Levis. And it felt like the way that Levis was used under Cohen was so much different than Gangarello in the run game and all those different things. How much is that is preserving injuries? You get it. But I know that they didn't get along. Gangarello and Levis. I know that Levis and Cohen, they got along very, very well. And that doesn't mean that going forward, it's automatically going to be peaches and cream with Devin Leary. But I like that Liam understands who his playmakers are. And in addition to being somebody that has this QB focused background, he's developed receivers very, very well. And he takes such pride in that part of the game, the route running part, which I think is important. So, yeah, I get it. Like everyone's going to say this is a homer pick, but dude led a top five offense in the SEC in his only year. Like, there's not a whole lot of guys on this list who can claim something like that, especially in recent memory. A top five offense in the SEC in this day and age is is nothing to scoff at. So, I mean, I think Liam is perfectly fine coming off at number four on the board. What say you? Yes, no, I, I agree. I'm slightly regretting him. I, as much as I love Barbe, I think you're right. Winning in the SEC is a really big deal. And I mean, the Scangarello thing, how funny is that? That's like the, we have Liam Cohen at home. The Liam Cohen at home. It's like, no, no, no. You yeah, that, that was the bootleg Liam Cohen. And you see the difference between Liam Cohen and the knockoff Liam Cohen in a single season with the same quarterback. And I the reason why I'm kicking myself is that pick is going to look really good with Leary in the fold. They're going to end up, I think, I don't want to jinx anybody, but I, I think they'll be top five again pretty easily. I think that with that quarterback, with the historic significance of the run game, with the way that he knows how to protect quarterbacks and call plays that, you know, the, the offensive line obviously changed some guys left i understand but you don't go from one of the best historical big blue wall lines to one of the worst in a season you know we saw it we just talked about it with the freshman tackles that's partially talent evaluation and play calling so i I think that they'll clean a lot up and that that's it'll be like the most improved offense of the year um 
man, this next <laughs> this next stretch is going to be tough. Um, I I kind of want to do what you're doing and play defense and get a guy that you want. Oh, who do I want? But I'm not going. I mean, okay, no, I'm just I'm going to follow my heart, Connor. I'm going to go Philip Montgomery. Oh, he was next on my board. Good pick. Yep. I like that. There we go. So, and you know, you know all about it. Okay. And one thing that I learned from having to watch the amount of UCF football that I have is how much of a tough out Tulsa was in big games. And, you know, you could talk about it. their offense got a little bit worse, but how many coordinators have failed to be head coaches? And, you know, what I'm saying like, there's a difference between, you know, he was RG3's quarterbacks coach at Baylor. You know what I'm saying? He was a guy that had been around this big spread offense that was changing football. So, you know, like I said, if you're a Georgia fan, you're talking about what Mike Bobo was doing 10 years ago. What Baylor was doing 10 years ago was offensively on the field, one of the most transformative things. Um, yep. So I, I think that you have to give them credit where credit's due. Um, but like I said, judging someone as a head coach is not the same as judging them as a coordinator. You got to worry about recruiting. You got to worry about discipline. You got to worry about scheduling, game planning. If you take a guy who's proven that he can be, well, I mean, he was at Tulsa 2015, the last year. That's a long tenured head coach. And he obviously gave that up to come to come to Auburn. Not because it's fun. Because I was talking about this yesterday with one of my buddies. Imagine having to call your coaching staff and being like, hey, guys, you know, I, I'm going to go VOC at Auburn. And fired, so I fired at Tulsa. Fired no, at no, Tulsa. no, you're you're right. But I think that that's one of those things where I think I think he did a little bit of the Lane Kiffin. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that he based on what he had built up there. And I know that they had been kind of mid for a couple of years, but I think that he kind of started pursuing options late in the year. And I think the performance kind of showed, and this is me really digging deep and really trying to like sell myself on this pick. So maybe that's not the case, you know what I'm saying? But imagine kind of, how about this versus your coordinators, imagine selling that to your family and being like, Hey guys, look, I know you're used to being the head coach's wife, but we're going to go take this Auburn job. And I promise you, we're going to get back there. And that's what he's, that's what he's in Auburn for. He's there because he's proven that he can be at least a mid head coach. I'm not telling you his record was awesome. He was 43 and 53 at Tulsa. He wasn't some great guy. We're not, we're not hiring uh, even Brian Harson as an OC here, but as a play caller, his first couple of years when he was able to focus on that, Top 10 offenses. We're talking about a hurricane at Tulsa. So I think that when you take some guys just aren't built to be head coaches, they get there too early. I think this is him. And I, I think that if you look at what they were doing early and what he was doing at Baylor and you pair that, and this is why this is an insulated pick, you pair that with you freeze. You pair that with a guy that has that little bit of a ceiling on him or floor. I mean, to where the odds of Auburn having a bad offense, I think pretty slim. Yeah, I, I like this this move. I, I thought it was one of the best coordinator moves that we've seen in the SEC this offseason. And I, I say that because we we have talked about how frustrating it can be to play Tulsa because like with the Art Bryles Baylor schemes, if you don't show up to face a team like that that makes you, I mean, do the cliche thing, cover every blade of grass on the field, you can be beat. In a, in a given day. And that is what they were always kind of capable of, whether they had a top 25 offense or not. And it's like, yeah, part of it, like is what, what you do as a head coach that counts for some of it. And part of it is like, he was calling plays at Baylor. Let's not forget yeah. that. He was yeah. the one that was literally calling those plays for the number one offense in college football in 2014 in the playoff era, which is kind of like peak Baylor. I guess you could say RG three's peak Baylor as well, but, but he was we there had for RG that too, you know? And was there for that as well. And when we had RC3 on in October and he had just called Robbie Ashford's first start and he says, you know, if 
Robbie Ashford's incredibly raw, incredibly raw. But he's like, so was I when I got to Baylor. And what helped me was I had somebody like Philip Montgomery to be able to work with and develop so that I could go through progressions and I could understand how to become a better passer. And he's like, if Robbie Ashford could work with a guy like that, man, I think the sky's the limit. That's his new OC. Hugh Freeze was watching that tape. Write that down. Write that down. Right. Philip, right. Montgomery, call that guy. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think, I think the concepts should work well together. How much play calling duties will he get? How much will be on Hugh freeze? That's a little bit of a TBD situation because obviously that is something that freeze is very, very well known for, but I like that pick. I have no problem with that being number five on the board here. Okay. Um, let's keep it moving. I've got curious. I think you, I think you're, you've got this guy pretty high on your board too. I'm going to go with Danny knows. Yep. That was going to be your next pick. Okay, we're on the same page here. When I found out that he was going to be the guy in the wake of the the Kendall Bryles TCU exit, which we'll talk about with John Neighbors, I I thought that was a nice win for Sam Pittman. I, I did. And look, the the point that John's going to bring up that is is very very valid is that he is going to be an upgrade over Bryles as a QB developer. That doesn't mean he's going to be an upgrade from a schematic standpoint, but you could point to a lot of different instances of Dan Enos knowing what to do with a quarterback and figuring out how to maximize their potential. You can go back to their his days at Arkansas and you know working with the, the Allen brothers. You can go back to the Jalen Hurts thing that I always bring up where he was the quarterback's coach at Alabama 2018. Don't forget, it wasn't just Lincoln Riley who developed him. He was so much better in 2018. Um, and then even with Mike Loxley and Talia Tungvaloa at Maryland, I mean, Talia Tungvaloa is like holds all these records at Maryland. I mean, yep. he has turned into a really solid college college player. And you know, I, I thought those those two guys, Hertz and 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 Talia, had different things to kind of figure it out. Like Jalen had to develop with his progressions to become like a game changer with his arm, whereas Talia had developed he had to develop into a guy who looked fearless back there and now can kind of hold on to the football longer and be able to make those plays. And has more confidence in that he did that in high school, but now to be able to do it at this level is a different story. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Enos is somebody that it's going to feel different. Like the running game stuff, they're not going to run the same way that they did with Kendall Browse. They, they won't. But I just think he's going to help KJ take that next step. And I like a guy who can develop quarterbacks. I think that's what he's going to be able to do. They're going to throw the football more. They haven't been in the top 100 in passing attempts per game these last two years. I'm not willing to say that's an automatic upgrade, so that's not what I'm saying. But I think that there are enough areas where you can look at and be like, yeah, Dan Enos, nice fit. Probably going to be better than the last time I saw him with total autonomy on the offensive side of the ball when he was leading Miami and Tate Martell and that offense in Shreveport and getting shut out against Louisiana Tech. It's going to be better than that. I think it's going to be an upgrade over that. Right. Yeah, I think Dan Enos is a very interesting resume. And I just want to touch on this. I mean, we could list a list of coaches that went to Miami and ended up becoming just complete doppelgangers of themselves who forgot how to coach football. Kevin Steele is a good example of one. Josh Gaddis. Gaddis, strong. Manny Diaz. Like, all of these guys have just become bad coaches going to Miami, and then they go somewhere else after, and they're magically good. You know what I'm saying? So I think I, I, I think you definitely shouldn't hold that against him. But there have been ups and downs with him. And But I, what I would say is people that were really dialed into Arkansas back then, you talked about the Allens. And, and the situations that he was put in and how he succeeded within those limitations. I mean, if you look at our boy Burt, man, we love our boy Burt. I'm not going to sit here and slander him, but, you know, he's coaching maybe the best football team uh, since Wisconsin. We've seen him coach last year, and they still couldn't score points. I think Burt does not like offense. <laughs> Brett Bielema. I think that he straight up 
it does not want to win the game. He's not, he doesn't want his offensive coordinator to score 40 points a game. And I think that not, not to like totally take blame away from Enos, but I think that if you see the schemes that he put in, you talk about the quarterback development, which is so massive for them and what they did. The reasons why Arkansas did not work was not Dan Enos. It was uh Bielema being a little bit too big in himself and not, it feels like he was kind of the king of that place. And that that's just my take. And maybe I'm making too many excuses for Enos, but has a little bit of head coaching experience has, has done the tour of, you know, after that, checking out at Alabama, checking out Michigan, being all these different places. I think he's learned, and I, I, I do think that he's going to be a good fit again. Okay, I, yeah, I, I think that we're we're at the place right now in our draft where we're we're getting to a little bit more personal preference here. We each have three picks that we've taken so far. So far, you have Denbrock, Barbe, and Montgomery. I have Petrino, Cohen, and Enos. Gosh, what a what a foursome of golf that would be. Um, so you are on your fourth pick. Who are you going with? Okay. So, okay, this actually makes it a little bit easier for me because here I'm just going to take Tommy Reese. I think that's the safe pick. I think we got to take Tommy Reese here. Not taking Tommy Reese here specifically would be insanity. I thought it was a little bit – I think those two guys we were pretty aligned on, but lots of people would have taken Reese before those last two guys. Now that they're both gone, I think that, you know – it's a young guy who Brian Kelly liked. Uh, he has kind of a junior Mike Denbrock feel to him. His offenses uh, struggled with a backup quarterback at Notre Dame, but I think that he has at least uh, shown promise in a way that Barbe has. Maybe not in the in the high scoring sense, but at least he's been in the big games. At least he's been you know impressed someone like Nick Saban. We're about to hear this offensive coordinator uh, impress this smart coach a lot from here. I'm pretty sure because that's what a lot of these resumes are. So yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to sell you any really big on him, but you know, I, I think that he's a learning um, is a guy who is going to, he's his best coaching is ahead of him. And I was excited when I thought LSU was going to hire him uh, before they ended up hiring Denbrock. So I, I don't think it'll be any different at Alabama. I had him next on my board too. Yep. I had him. He was, he was six on my board and I, I think you could find, we, we've talked about the, the, the issues and what he's going to need to overcome at Alabama. Um, He's got a little bit of an edge to him. He does. And I wonder how that impacts him because it's not like he's in, he's going to be in these spots where he's talking to the media left and right or, you know, but, but clearly he's a guy who hears what fans say, right? Because if you don't hear what fans say, you don't have a pin picture of a run the damn ball hat that look, everybody knows what, what the, the hope is at Bama. The hope is that you're going to get back to boring in a good way. So everybody's hoping for. So can you be that? Can you be that and rise above these very sky-high expectations? Because whether Reese was underwhelming or overwhelming, I mean, he was underwhelming as a hire, you still obviously are tasked with doing something that very few coordinators are going to do. So he will be held to a higher standard. But yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by the Reese chapter. I really hope we get more Rich Rodriguez like blowups from him, like the one clip that always goes viral where he's like he's like yelling into the phone. It's like, oh my gosh, this is dude is intense right now. It's a little bit uh Ken Dorsey esque, but yeah, do you I, think I have you no... were in college, big fellow, somebody who didn't throw picks. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? Um, but yeah, Reese Reese being kind of in that middle of the pack is is telling. And that's part of the reason why I think we were looking at this going, hmm, I don't know that that really moved the needle for Alabama in the way that some were hoping. But I do think there's a tier switch between this guy and the next guy. Who do you who do you have next? Oh, boy. I didn't think I'd get him. But I'm going Bobo. 
Oh, okay. And look, we talked about it a lot last pod, so I don't want to repeat myself too much here. You know the skepticism that I have about somebody that hasn't had a top 60 offense since 2017, somebody that his best thing on his resume is something that happened nine, 10 years ago. Like I, I I'm already out there. Okay. You know, my deal, Georgia fans, if he ends up leading an offense that averages 40 points per game, or your team wins a national championship with Mike Bobo as your offensive coordinator, I will do the Jay Billis young Jeezy thing. I will say nice things about Mike Bobo. Every offseason pod that we have, I've given you that he wasn't taken higher because this is a bit, what have you done for me lately? And I think that's where we differentiate between head coach and coordinator because so much of this about coordinator is how much are you keeping on – how much are you keeping tabs on, on the modern schemes? And there is still that intrigue, obviously, of, okay, well, maybe he got into situations at South Carolina and Auburn where he felt like, eh, I'm not really the wanted guy. I'm not really wanted in a way that I could really succeed. And look, there's a part of me – that would love to see this great experiment of the Will Muschamp offensive factor and have Todd Munkin running a Will Muschamp team, like Todd Munkin running the offense for a Will Muschamp team. Right. And just see how it goes. Can Muschamp find a way to screw it up? Despite what we know about Todd Munkin being this unbelievable schemer and him being able to dial up ways to maximize this five-star talent that Georgia has. I would love to see that. But that, I think, is why I still have a little bit more open-minded about this, about this because he still should be able to put up significant numbers. And he has done that in the SEC, albeit a different SEC. But I still think, okay, he's going to have that trust from Kirby Smart, and that is a very key thing. He's not going to have somebody watching over, his, watching over his shoulders. And there's a chance that Mike Bobo converts some skeptics, myself included. So that's why I went with him as my fourth pick for me, eighth pick overall. Georgia fans are going to turn that into six and six, seven and five talk, aren't they? Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually, I was going to find a way to get out of here without getting into this next group of guys, because I was actually going to take Bobo if you didn't, and then just be done with it. Now I'm in an interesting position because I got to pick one of three guys, in my opinion, who are very similar. Um, And <laughs> I think, Last pick. So if you don't get them, like you got to get them out. This is this is your dart throw pick right here. This is okay. I the gosh, these guys are so freaking similar. I'm I'm gonna spit it out, Will. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. This is this is is the nightmare situation. I think I'm gonna go ahead. You know what? Yeah, I think I'm gonna go ahead and take Charlie Weiss Jr. Uh, It was between him and uh, what's his name, Halsell at Tennessee. Uh, Joey Halsley. Halsley. Okay. Yes. They both have very similar resumes. This was literally a hair's breadth for me. Um, I think that the USF tenure is scary. I'm not going to lie to you about old Charlie OS jr. But I think that he's obviously, you know, a guy who's come up in the coaching profession. I think that he's already had success with lane. I think that that's a really big deal. And I think that they have similar offensive philosophies. And I think that the USF thing, nobody can fix that place. I think that place is a pit of despair. So I think that if we're going to delete, you know, the large parts of people's resumes for type, uh, for, a-factor coaches, this guy should get the same treatment. He has had the best offense as an OC, I believe, of the remaining guys. And while I do like uh, Halsley a lot, I think that he is like he he and, and I'll give him credit for his development um, in the last season. I just think there's not enough there to, to even take a flyer on him. Agreed. I think that's perfectly fair. Um, I had I had Charlie West Jr. as number nine on my board. 
And for a lot of the same reasons that you just brought up, it's like how much of that USF stuff is him? How much of it is Jeff Scott? It was it was, it was a total disaster there. And obviously he has control uh, as well on the offensive side of the ball. Kiffin hired Charlie West Jr. when he was 24 to yeah. be his OC at FAU. 24 years old. He's still 29. He'll turn, yeah. He's going to turn 30 soon. Um, but it's, it's one of those situations where I'm like, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Oh, we, we, we got young in the SEC, especially with Tommy Reese uh, coming on board as a, as a 30-year-old guy as well. But, um, but at least he's older than me. That's why I said that. I can at least say, well, hey, true. I have plenty of time to be old Mrs. Offensive Coordinator if I just start now. <laughs> just wait, man. Um, yeah, the I keep getting older and the coordinators stay the same age. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the play calling last year with Ole Miss. So that's why I, I, I only had him at nine on my board. And we know that Kiffin is obviously overseeing some of the offense. So um, I wasn't crazy about it just because it seemed like all the passes were within the same distance. and We weren't seeing the same variability that we saw with Matt Corral and the way that, that Jeff Levy was so effective stretching the field. So I, yep. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to go. This is my dart throw. I'm really tempted to go Halsley. Because his resume is it's bare bones right now. Like he was his first on field role at the FBS level was 2020. I mean, that is, but that, and it, that's kind of the Levy track, you know, right. that's a, a little bit of what Levy's career looked like. And obviously, we're talking about him in a much different regard now. So things can change in a hurry. Like he's been Hypo's right hand man forever, too. Right. Um, so I'm not going to go with him. I'm going to go with Dow Loggins. And here's why. Oh, wow. You went Bobo Loggins back to back. I know, right? Okay, so I want to see what it looks like away from Adam Gase. I really do. That That's the intrigue. Because if quarterbacks like Jay Cutler speak highly of you, that matters somewhat to me. Right. Um, and obviously, I've talked about how it doesn't mean everything to me that Aaron Murray speaks so highly of of Mike Bobo. Um, again, like I drafted Loggins after Bobo, so Georgia fans don't come at me. But he's so difficult to judge because of the fact that he has been basically entirely in the NFL. He's right. been attached at the hip to Adam Gase for like they were attached for like seven years or something like that at a few different places in the NFL. I don't really know how he develops college quarterbacks because his only other college job was Arkansas tight ends coach. And I'm trying not to let the overwhelming, underwhelming news of the hire impact me because it was considered an underwhelming hire when Shane Beamer's talking about, you, you know, just look at all the people I've got sending me messages and stuff like that. And then he ends up with a guy who's like, wait a minute, Dal Loggins, that's, that's your new offensive coordinator, your new play caller. Um, but I think that he's going to work well with Rattler. And if you're going to be judged by something like that, then I think that's working well in your favor. So yeah, I'll, I'll round this draft out with, with logins. So this is crazy. My top 10 that I had are the, the 10 that we ended up with. That's, I did not think that would be the case. I thought you were the most rogue pick I think was, was Barbe going third overall. Cause I had him eighth on my board, but I think we were mostly lockstep on that. Well, the thing is, too, it's like you basically knew you were going to end up not having Barbe, and I knew that about Cohen. Like, I could have grabbed Cohen, but then you would have grabbed Barbe, and we both would have been upset. <laughs> so That's it's true. like, might as well just grab Barbe and get my guy. Um, But yeah, I will say, I have Lockins last. I don't like him at all. I think that he looks like Patton Oswald. His vibe is very off. He reminds me of, like, a guy who he walks in a room, and I'm just like, yeah, what, okay, but where's the OC? You whoa, are, like, the whoa. quality Bri control guy. Brian Dable I is is... <laughs> Is silencing the haters who shame him for 
a for a specific body type. No, right? no, 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 no. Brian Dable has it. You can be a big fluffy boy and have confidence. Brian Dable has swag. He has always had swag. Do not try to make me into a fat shaver again. I love that chunky boy, Brian Dable. It's not that he's it's not that he's big. It's that he looks like Patton Oswald. Like, can you tell me a joke? Oh, you're gonna be and the fact that he got there and everybody left. I'm just like, what did you say to these boys? Eh, there was it wasn't entirely that. There was some there was some timing that wasn't just as simple as Dow Loggins is on board and then everybody's gone. And you could point to certain things like, oh, hey, Trey Knox is is coming on board. And, you know, obviously that that connection there with him in Arkansas was was, you know, a, a nice a nice offseason win for South Carolina. But yeah, this guy's I mean, only experience in the SEC is as a tight ends coach. As soon as he gets there, his best tight end hits the portal and becomes like the number three player in the portal. He hit the portal before. Like <laughs> no, was... but he didn't get him back. That's what I'm saying. He was like, he was like, nah, bro, we're good. You can we're good. I, I don't put that entirely. I mean, like so much of the Jaheim Bell situation, the way that that played out this past year, like there, there should not have been football games in which he only got nine snaps. Right. I, I put that on more so on Marcus Satterfield. But but if yeah, they I hire mean, Reese, if they hire Dinbrock, who have this history of developing tight ends, I don't think he leaves. But I think when they brought him in, they were like, all right, bro, I'm staying here. We're good. That's why it's my dart throw. <laughs> no, for sure. I'm not dumping on you. I'm just, we've agreed the entire time. This is the one guy that I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted to put Joey Lynch in here. Um, Vandy wasn't a terrible watch with Mike Wright, and I realized Mike Wright's gone, so it's a little bit different. And some of that was him doing things when the play broke down. Kirby Moore could be something that rises on here. Maybe Rob Sale will be talking about him in a different way, but really not a whole lot to go off of after the year that was for Florida. And we know that Billy Napier is still doing the whole play calling duties thing, which ugh, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, and then and then our guy Halsley, who um, could be a riser, could very much be a riser out of the the lebby ilk but uh as of right now just probably not quite enough to go on but yeah that was fun i like drafting mm-hmm. coordinators i don't know if we're well, gonna do it with dcs because it's a might be a little bit easier to figure out who's at the top but i had no idea who you're gonna go with yeah dcs is a lot more like there's a lot going on with dcs especially like total, total autonomy but you can kind of see like some of these guys have vibes to them all the different stuff but yeah I, it's funny because we were literally in lockstep going all the way through and i'm sure there's if you're like i don't know which fan base would be upset by this list like maybe for but again if you're florida like, you really feel like your offense needs to be stood on right now like probably not and so same thing with tennessee we both like their guy but it's like there's just not enough and i, I think like my last dart throw is between one of those two guys like you said i don't even hate the dial because you have lots of experience with yours i have two guys that can kind of go either way yeah i'm mm, okay i'm feeling i'm feeling good about about my roster and what this means too is with each of our fives you have denbrock barbe montgomery reese and weiss jr i have petrino cohen enos bobo and loggins um that basically means we have to these are this is our all bang the drum team essentially and we will defend them if there's a game in which they get shut out we have to justify it (laughs) I got to root for Bama again. Oh my god! Yeah, what did you do to yourself? You just root for the entire the entire West, basically. Yeah, yeah, because you got Ole Miss, Bama, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU. Yeah, that's that's the way that it worked out. You're just cheering for. You're just an SEC West fan. I'm an SEC West fan. I'm like <laughs> Rob Lowe with the NFL hat. Yep, same thing, same thing. Um, all right, before we kick it to uh, John Neighbors, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. Sports betting, not legal in all these SEC states, Uh, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, most of the SEC states, you cannot just bet on sports. 
underdog is your way around that. I want to talk about underdog fantasy. You might've tried daily fantasy in the past, but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement right now with underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog, you can automatically double your deposit. When you join sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play in these contests. Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. Pretty similar to sports betting player props and yes real money you put real money on the line in alabama georgia florida texas texas etc underdog is awesome super fun to do while you're watching any sport at home you want to get some action great way to be able to do it do it with our friends at underdog go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars hundred dollars absolutely free saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog all right let's kick it to john now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the Buzz's John Neighbors. Uh, John, I feel like you've been everywhere. Um, all things hogs all the time. Baseball, hoops. You were in Memphis at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how neglected is your dog right now? <laughs> oh, trust me. Like uh, We have a very uh, touch-and-go relationship at times. You know, Sometimes he uh, wants to punish me anytime I'm gone. And it's kind of become... Like not to get too in depth about it, but it is becoming a running joke where when I'm gone a weekend, he makes me pay for it when I come back. So it's always just a matter of how he does it. But uh, yeah, it's a little uh, it's a little tough relationship that we have, but we work our way through it. We just got to bring him in. I mean, some of these baseball games when we were traveling to Arlington or something like that. I mean, you could bring him theoretically probably wouldn't end well, actually. On second thought, that's a bad idea. Yeah, because I think uh, he's pretty much afraid of like everything and doesn't like loud noises and doesn't like a lot of people or a lot of dogs. So, yeah, I think uh, it would be he actually prefer being left alone by himself than preferring being with me with a bunch of people around. So, yeah, I think it's best for everybody. He just stays home. Let's talk vibes in, in, in Fayetteville right now. Um, Jalen Catalan, Jordan Dominic, Trey Knox, all transfer. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because I think in today's day and age, when you see an established player transfer, you assume, ah, you know, that, that school didn't have their NIL stuff figured out. And then you're kind of thinking about it. You're like, well, Knox had that pet smart deal that was announced on the first day of NIL. Uh, we know that rocket Sanders has the the deal right now with, with Huggies. Grant Morgan got like a house for life. So it's not like Arkansas is, is lacking these things, but why does it seem like it was more of a one way street so far with the portal with Arkansas? Well, you know, it's I'm sure you run into this yourself with NIL, especially there's just so many mysteries about it and there's not a whole lot of transparency on it. So people, when they don't have a direct answer as to why someone left, it's got oh well, it's got to be NIL. It's got to be that I'm like, well, you know, even to add into your point, I'm sorry, but I'm sure that if there was any sort of tampering or anything, don't you think people would probably offer KJ Jefferson a, a, a lot of money? And don't you think he'd probably go if that's what it was all about? But you know, I think that it just sometimes get blown out of proportion, but there has been, without a doubt, a lot more uh, taking away in the portal than giving this year. You were able to add some guys, but comparing it to last year where you had a Drew Sanders, Jaden Hazelwood, uh, you know, a couple guys from LSU, guy from Georgia, it hasn't really been the same. And I think that there's a lot of things that go into it. Maybe some things we just don't understand. Sometimes a guy just wants to change the scenery. Sometimes a guy just wants to move on, but there was no doubt that inside the locker room and internally this year for the Razorback football team, there were problems. I mean, Sam Pittman even addressed that. And it was one of those things to where you could kind of connect the dots as to where maybe some of the pro problems came from. I know the strength and conditioning coach got fired the day after the season ended. Uh, I think that, that there was some issues there. Uh, the defensive staff, there was a lot of changes that came with that. 
Uh, obviously, uh, with Kendall Browles moving on, there's been some change with that, which I know we'll get into. So I think it was just more there were problems. Some of the players that left may have been either part of the problem or didn't want to be a part of the problem, so they left. It's it's just something to I think Sam Pim is just trying to restart this entire thing and get some new fresh faces in there that are going to bring the energy and try to weed out some of the ones that ended up being so many problems for the Razorbacks last year. I think it's pretty clear year three, the honeymoon phase is over for Sam Pittman. There, there's no doubt that honeymoon phase isn't supposed to last three years in the SEC anyways, even if you're coming from a place like Arkansas, who, as we know, uh, had, had a whole lot of rebuilding to do when Sam Pittman arrived. But I was still even kind of understanding some of that, even in the midst of the Mizzou game, where Mizzou is playing for bowl eligibility, Arkansas has got it already clinched. There were so many people I saw who were just out on Pittman. And, and like get him out of here, bring in somebody else. Based on what you've seen and you interact with the fan base far more than I do, obviously, do you think that was more heat of the moment? Or do you think there is a little bit of that angst and his approval rating really has taken a significant hit? It, I think it was more heat of the moment. And I know it sounds crazy to think that Razorback fans especially will just uh, go with whatever the, the latest game looks like and say fire everybody. I mean, I had to do that with baseball this past weekend in Arlington. They lost one game to TCU and they want the hitting coach fired. But then they put up 18 runs the next day and suddenly that's fine. Like it's just that's how fans are. So I think it's a lot of the heat of the moment thing. But there is there is an idea, though, about Pittman, especially heading into year four where, all right, this is the do or die year. You either have to take significant steps forward, showing that it's got a good direction and you're going uh, the right way, or there may need to be some changes. Because I think what made it even worse, Connor, and you can maybe agree or disagree, this past year especially, Razorback fans view this season as it should have been at minimum a nine-win season, regular season for Arkansas. Because, yeah, I mean, losing to Bama, that, that is what it is. But, you know, they were – they got down by 28 points, 28 nothing. Storm back in the third quarter, make it 28 25 or 28 uh, 23. But then the fourth quarter happened. So, like, that happens. Mississippi State, you didn't have a healthy KJ Jefferson. They beat you. So, I'm not taking anything away, but you had Malik Hornsby. That didn't work out. LSU at home, you only lost by three points. You didn't have KJ Jefferson. Liberty, KJ was not healthy for that game. And you could really see the problems there. So, Missouri, you should have won that game anyway. So, the point is, is like, hey, your record is what it says it is, but. Fans felt like that should have been a much better year than what it ended up being. And there's nothing worse that, or at least that can make an entire fan base turn on you than to think that you underachieved with the talent that you had on the team. And that's where it came in with Pittman. So it was a very important, though, for Sam Pittman to have KJ Jefferson back next year, to have Rocket Sanders back next year, to be able to change the defense entirely, because we all know how bad that defense was, especially in the secondary, to change that completely. He at least addressed the problems that they were having. Now, will these guys that he brought in, will they be better? Will everything just change overnight? It's tough to say because, you know, it's it's crazy in college football, especially in the SEC West of what it could all be. But uh, there's no doubt that this is going to be a very important year for Sam Pittman. And if fans don't like the results or if he doesn't at least get to that seven, eight win mark in the regular season, which I think the schedule is actually easier this year than it was the past year, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want Sam Pittman's head and Honestly, there may be some legit criticism and legit justification for why that may be. Yeah, on one hand, I, I think you could look at the the KJ Jefferson fumble against AM and say it's yeah. it's a very unique sliding doors moment for the way that we look back on this season. At the same time, the defense sucked. The defense sucked. It, it was bad. It was bad when it was healthy. It was bad when it wasn't healthy. It wasn't good. And 
that still would have been there even if they're able to close out that game. And it's like, all right, well, that limited your ceiling kind of no matter what. And, you know, as, as Pittman goes into this year four and he's obviously these changes have happened. I want to get to the coordinator changes in just a sec here, but he's in a very unique spot because the the performance based buyout, it changes things. If he goes three games below 500, his buyout would be like a little over 10 million bucks as opposed to, I think if he's over 500, it'd be like 15 million, some, somewhere in that range. So on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the most likely that that he's gone how would you how how likely would you say that he gets a year five understanding obviously the other part of this the hunter Juracek dynamic of this hunter Juracek loves a guy and it's it's such an underrated thing to have an athletic director who's like who he can point to a head coach and say i hired that guy i made that guy work and he's right now making our program better how, how likely would you say it is that sam Pittman gets that year five I think at this point in time, I, I'm still leaning pretty high for it, where I'm like maybe on an eight where he gets a year five, like okay. unless things just really come crumbling down in this next year, I think he gets it. Even if he goes six and six, seven and five, I still think he gets another year. Uh, but the, the problem becomes, though, is if you think about, OK, well, say if they didn't do well this year, they went six and six, especially with an easier schedule, you'll lose KJ Jefferson. You're more than likely going to lose Rocket Sanders. You're going to lose some of the other veteran guys that uh, you maybe were counting on to take those next steps forward. And people start to really lose faith. And then it's like, okay, so now what do you do? I mean, are you going to just uh, start fresh and say, okay, well, here you go. Here's year five for you. And not to mention year five has a much more difficult schedule. And by that time, you're going to have, I guess, probably nine SEC games instead of eight in 2024. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But uh, I think that if it doesn't really look good or at least look like there's reasons to believe that he can still build it and that the recruiting is up and that uh, the the health of the program is still in a good spot, then, you know, the, they may move on from that. But uh, it's just going to depend on, you know, they're going to lose games this year. How do they lose them? Do they get blown out? Do they get embarrassed? Do they lose to a teams that they shouldn't? You know, how's that going to look? Because not every loss is created equal. But I still think, bar, barring some crazy epic collapse, that he's going to get a year five after this year. Agreed, hundred percent. What did you make of the the coordinator additions with Danny Enos and, and Travis Williams? Uh, starting with Danny Enos, honestly, it, it's safe. You know, it, it's not something that I think that everyone's just like, oh, okay, game changer. Now the offense is really going to pick up and go up another notch. Not saying that, but Arkansas is obviously familiar with Danny Enos, and the one thing that people remember about Danny Enos and his few years that he was at Arkansas is the one thing they'll point to is Brandon Allen and the jump that Brandon Allen made from 2014 when Jim Chaney was his OC to 2015, where Brandon Allen went from being an average to below average quarterback in the SEC statistically to bam, 30 touchdowns over 3000 yards and one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC and did a really good job with Austin Allen too. We know the Brett Bielma experiment kind of failed there too, but uh, I think that with Enos, he's going to be able to bring an element to especially developing quarterbacks that I don't think Kendall Bryles could do. I think Kendall Bryles had a really interesting offense and exciting offense and offense that could be very successful, especially when it's clicking. But the one thing that I think I start questioning with Kendall Bryles is the development of quarterbacks because behind KJ Jefferson, Malik Hornsby, there was nothing there. Cade Ford was nothing. There was nothing there. But Enos, he's coached a lot of great quarterbacks at Bama and even at Maryland and even at Arkansas. So I think will the offensive play calling will will all of that be better? Time will tell, but I think the development of the quarterback position will be better under Enos. And as far as Travis Williams go, the one thing that I understand from Sam Pittman is that he understands recruiting in the SEC is everything. And SEC defenses especially, like Arkansas, I try to use the same example to kind of give a good reference point for Razorback fans. The best defense that Arkansas has had 
pretty much in the past 15, 20 years in the modern era was that 2014 defense where you had Trey Flowers, Darius Phylon, Martrell Spate, Tevin Mitchell, uh, Dietrich Wise. You just had a loaded amount of NFL talent on that team. And that's why that defense was so good. Rob Smith was the defensive coordinator. He was fine, but he wasn't the reason why the defense was great. It was great because you had great players. And so he got Travis Williams and he uh, got some other guys to come along with Travis Williams that are elite recruiters. That's what he's wanting. That's what he wanted more than anything. He's like scheme. Great defense. Great. But we need guys because they think he understands that you can win in the sec, no matter who a defensive coordinator is, just as long as you have some big time players. So I like that element. I like the recruiting element because we know it's a tough place to recruit at Arkansas compared to the other places in the SEC West. So it, it's a it's a time will tell. I like the direction. I like the idea. Will they execute it? Will it actually improve? That's what we're going to kind of have to wait on this year. The Kendall Bryles thing, it felt, and this is connecting dots, it felt more like he wanted to be associated with Sonny Dykes uh, as a, and be back in his his home state of Texas, obviously, um, than anything else. And then looking, it didn't seem like Kendall Bryles sat down and said, well, I have this, this, and this coming back next year, and this is what I have to work with at TCU, and that's how I'm going to base this decision. It seemed like I'd rather go to a, a program where I feel like that coach has a lot of job security, and he's going to be good for a while. I'm going to be able to run my variation of the offense. But the way that it played out with him turning down MSU, you know, the tweet with the KJ picture – just not great. What did you kind of make of the way that uh, his time at Arkansas ended? I'll admit, like I was, a, I was a Kendall Brawls defender uh, for Ray because Razorback fans would get so sick of him, and I'm like, you know, he he's a guy when he had a healthy KJ Jefferson, they were averaging like 36 points a game, you know, and and they didn't turn the ball over a lot, and he was very balanced with passing and rushing. So I felt like a lot of times he was unfairly criticized. Play calling wasn't always perfect at times, but again, you're just looking at the big picture, I thought he was fine, but. When it got to the point to where each and every year there was this flirting with other jobs, I th- and Sam Pittman is, you know, loyalty is something that's thrown around, but with Sam Pittman, it does, like it does. He's a loyal guy and he wants his guys to be loyal. He wants his players to be loyal. And I think that it got to the point to where when the Mississippi State job came up, you know, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Sexton is Kendall Browse's agent, which we all know how he goes. I think it got to the point where, Pittman understands, okay, every year there's going to be somebody that's going to come after my coordinator or whatever. Okay, well, hey, turn them down. We'll get you a pay raise. It'll be good to go. And I think that there was an agreement there. But then when the TCU thing happened and there was some more, hey, hey, well, now TCU's going. I honestly think, and this is just from what I've heard, from what I've heard, it's one of those things where Pittman said, go, go. We're not, I'm done playing, I'm done playing these games. I'm done dealing with this. I'm sick and tired of having to, like basically where we agreed to something you need to stick it out instead of constantly trying to get more money out of it. I'm sick and tired of having our players go through this thing. Like our KJ Jefferson go through this thing where he doesn't know if his coach is going to be back next year, go. And I think that that was a big element of it because at least from my understanding, Arkansas was actually going to pay more to Kendall Bryles to stay than what he's actually making at TCU now. And so that was a thing to where I, from what I understand, it's just something that Pittman got tired of. Cause if you remember correctly, it was kind of funny. Pittman announced that Dan Enos was hired as the OC officially like before Kendall Browns was even the TCU OC. So I think it was one of those things of like, get out. Pittman was probably already talking with Enos a little bit. Hey, if Browns leaves, I want you to be my guy. And I think they just made it a little bit expedited. So I think Kendall Browns handled it really poorly. I think, I think that really put a sour taste in people's mouths, but Again, the way that fans felt about him anyways, it seemed like it was just, you know what, maybe it's just time for both parties to kind of go their own way. And 
try something new here at Arkansas and for Kendall Bros to go somewhere else and try something new as well. When I go on your show, you pretend that you don't know that I have KJ as my number one quarterback coming back in the SEC. Yeah. Um, but be honest, like you just want me to say it because it's like music to your ears for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because honestly, I feel like and, you know, I'm sure this is a lot of my bias that comes into it. But, you know, there's just a complex here in the state of Arkansas. I'm going to be honest about it, not just for sports and Razorbacks, but just in general. Anytime that Arkansas can ever be looked at in a positive light or be number one in something, it matters to them because every all we ever hear here in the state is, oh, well, you know, you're you're dead last in all these things. Who wants to live in Arkansas? It's a terrible state. Like you're not anywhere. You don't have any pro teams. You don't have any awesome places. And those like it's just a complex that everyone has. It's a chip on our shoulder. It's us against the world. So anytime that they can ever hear something of their something they're proud of, something they love, something they cherish, be number one. They're going to pump it up and put it on a plaque and they're going to love you forever. And that's kind of where with KJ, is he the number one quarterback in the SEC? I think that at least coming back, he has an argument for it. I'm not going to sit here and say someone's dumb for not saying he's number one. But I think it's just sometimes I I don't think certain players get enough credit at Arkansas. You know, I thought that, uh, you know, when when Ryan Mount was our Arkansas, a lot of people didn't think he was preseason all SEC, which... I think a lot of people thought he should have been, you know, there's people that thought, uh, you know, that uh, Brandon Allen maybe should have got some more credit than than what he was getting. You know, there's just those things where they want their guys to be appreciated. And when anytime someone says KJ is the best or number one or anything like that, it's it's going to mean something to people. And that's what they enjoy hearing, too. I'll continue the bit. That's fine. We can do that every time. I'm good. We'll continue the bit the entire offseason. And barring something like crazy happening, a post spring portal edition, I'm not. I'm not budging off of that because I. I, I kind of went into it thinking unless somebody like Sam Hartman transfers into the SEC, KJ would be my guy because when you've seen it against this competition, that changes things. Now I still love Devin Leary, the Kentucky, the new Kentucky quarterback, comes from Louisville, but. I did it at a very high level in the ACC already, but I, I still kind of wonder about the conversations with KJ moving forward because I do think he got better last year when he was healthy. If you look at those reps and the way that he actually learned to go through some of his progressions over the middle, I thought that was a little bit different with him. I think he is an NFL future. Do you? Well, I'll say this: like I try to put the. I know numbers aren't everything, but they are a good bit of it. And I try to tell even fans about KJ too, where he played in two less games last year than what he did in the previous year. And you could even say taking that Liberty game into perspective, maybe two and a half, because again, he was not fully healthy and every single number he had was improved. He had better completion percentage. He had more touchdown passes. He had uh, more throws over 20 yards. He had uh, his interceptions were about the same. Uh, The only thing that wasn't there was yards, but it was like only 60 yards difference. So pretty much every stat that he had last year was better than the previous year because everyone's like, oh, well, Traylon Burks, that's the only reason. No, he had some great numbers and his rushing game was a lot better, too. So I think that he has elements and this goes back to the whole Dan Enos thing. The things that he's missing to take him to that next level in the NFL, I think, is what Dan Enos can provide his reads. You know, when it comes to when he snaps the ball, think under Bryles and the offense. So a lot of times where it's like, hey, here's your one wide receiver over here. Here's your one target. If it's not there, take off running, improvise, do whatever you need to do. Dan Enos, I think, understands progressions and understands going through reads and getting you kind of ready for that. Because, again, dude has an incredible resume of coaching high-level quarterbacks. So if they can add something like that to his game, we know he's a freak athlete. We know he's a good decision maker. He doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. We know that he's got a really good presence, especially – uh, late in games and in fourth quarters. 
if he can just add that piece to his offense and be able to have uh, you know more targets, throw the tight end a little bit more and all that, I don't see any reason why he can't be a bona fide NFL quarterback, but he's got to work on that part of his game. And if he gets to that point, yeah, I, I think he'll have not only a big year, but he'll be in a lot of people's draft boards after the season's over. And the question is ironically the same one that we're asking last year, but you know, now we're asking, well, who's who's gonna catch passes for him after he loses Hazelwood and Landers and and Knox transfers? And it's like, well, he had those guys last year. This year it's gonna be a much different story. Like I I'm trying to figure out who his go-to guy is gonna be. Like it's gonna be the the six seven dude that they got from Bowling Green. What uh, what's his name again? Broden. Uh, yeah. like other than that, I I don't know who who would be your go-to is uh for for KJ's go-to this year. Yeah, this one's a different one because the, you got transfers like uh, Isaac Tesla, who uh, was a high, actually a pretty highly like sought after player. A lot of guys in the, a lot of teams in the SEC took a look at him, but uh, they got him. They got Andrew Armstrong from Texas A&M Commerce, like small school guys, but big. Like they're all like six six and above. So it could be one of those guys, but also. You know, the tight end position has not been one that's been featured very much at Arkansas, at least under the Browse offense. But one thing that we know under Dan Enos, when he had Hunter Henry, when he had Jeremy Sprinkle, when he had, you know, those guys, the tight end position was featured. And since they lost Trey Knox, they added in a couple phenomenal freshmen. Uh, Shamar Easter, an in-state guy, Luke Hawes, who's another one of the best tight ends out of Oklahoma. So that's what's crazy is you're going to have nothing but new faces pretty much to throw to the entire time. But I think that because of what, Enos will provide and how KJ will have it. And I think that there's going to be some undervalued guys, maybe in this wide receiver room, they'll figure it out, you know, because even with Dan Enos, when again, trying to compare it to when he was at Arkansas, Brandon Allen had over 3000 yards passing, but he didn't have one single wide receiver that went over a thousand yards that year. It was, it was very spread out, whether it's Dominic Reed or Jared Cornelius or uh, Drew Morgan, uh, as a lot of people remember, like it was very balanced. And then of course the tight ends with Hunter Henry and everything. So uh, I think it just is going to be by committee. It sounds like a cop-out answer, but I think as long as they have enough talent that can be there and be healthy and develop, uh, it may not be just one go-to guy. It may be just whoever's open at the time or whoever's having a good matchup against a certain team. How are you going to react when you see Rocket not on All-America teams and you see that Blake Corum and Quinshaw Judkins are in that running back spot? Are you going to quote tweet appropriately or not at all? Oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that everyone knows about it. I'll make sure everyone knows about it. Like, I, I did this uh, video, I guess, because I don't I don't do like the whole TikTok thing very much because I, I still don't understand it. And it's kind of crazy. But I did this video where I was uh, talking about in uh, I think it was the coaches poll or the AP. I can't remember which one it was where Rocket Sanders wasn't even uh, first team all SEC. And instead they had Judkins and they also had a chain from, uh, from, from Texas A&M. A&M, which I completely disagreed with. I was like, listen, I get Judkins like the guy was incredible. The numbers don't. But like every single stat. Rocket Sanders had a chain beat, like every stat, more yards per game, uh, yards per care, everything. And see, that goes back to the whole thing of feeling disrespect is like, how does that happen? Well, people's brought up AJ. Oh, well, he didn't play in many games, whatever it is. I don't care. Like Rocket Sanders was able to, to be an absolute force in some of these games and just put up in stupid numbers. And I think that he's going to do it again next year. So I'll be pretty frustrated by it. Again, I think there's a lot of great running backs in college football, and there's a lot of great uh, running backs even in the SEC. If he's not first-team All-American, I won't be too upset, but it's the SEC part of it where if he's not first-team, one of the top two running backs, there's a major issue with that next year. That's a lock. He's getting that. There's unless something happens, that that's <laughs> that's a lock. That that should be happening. Yeah, that's gonna be your TikTok is just Arkansas disrespect. 
all the time. Just Always. reacting to Arkansas disrespect. I, my personal idea, I'm not on TikTok, but and this is um, this. If anybody steals this idea, I will. I will be irate. Somebody probably already has it. Which is going to be breaking down country music lyrics, and it's the channel would be essentially, or the series would be like, y'all said what, and it would be just breaking down literal lyrics and country music songs and and reacting to them. I think it's got a lot of potential, but yeah, Arkansas disrespect. You have the market for that. You can go oh, yeah. that. You can get big yeah. on TikTok. You, be, you yeah. have the lighting for it too. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I got, I can get the lighting. I can not only do the disrespect, but also, uh, you know, the official screwing Arkansas at every turn. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a big one too. So yeah, that's, it's kind of like maybe the little, uh, mystery, mysterious secret here is like, you know what, if I'm thinking about a podcast or if I'm thinking about something to do where you know, I'm struggling with a, a topic idea, just do one of those two things of just getting the Razorback fans riled up and boom, the numbers speak for themselves. Like it just blows up. So, you know, that's the good thing I love about Razorback fans is they care so much, but man, you disrespect them. They're going to let you hear about it in some form and fashion. How's Arkansas going to get screwed with these new divisions? Or new pods, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, well, they're going to end up with, uh, you know, probably Georgia, Bama, you know, LSU. That'll, that'll be the teams that they end up playing. No, honestly, like, and I know I'm, this is something that we've all talked about and with this new thing as far as, I guess, three permanent opponents is what they're looking at. And I I think, this is just my theory, I think that it would make sense if they went with um, the three permanent opponents for Arkansas being Missouri, Texas, in Oklahoma or Missouri, Texas and Texas ain't like something like that because of the, the big 12 or the old Southwest conference connections. Oklahoma is literally the closest campus to Arkansas. That's a power five team. It's the closest campus. So, I mean, that surely that would make some sense there too. And they actually haven't played in a home and home in forever. So maybe something like that, but I think sadly they're going to get stuck with Missouri, which fans are so sick and tired of losing to Missouri because they don't feel like they should ever lose to Missouri. They feel like they're a better program than Missouri, but they just, for whatever reason, can't win that game. So uh, they're going to get stuck with that. And I think they're going to get stuck with a, one of the Texas teams. I hope it's Texas because again, of all the history there too. But um, I guess I could also see it. Maybe they do like Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, A&M, mm-hmm. maybe put Arkansas with like LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi state, something like that. I don't know. But I think that, no matter what, Arkansas is not going to be one of those highly sought after teams that people want to play, but they're going to try to hopefully keep some of the old rivalries or some sort of rivalries with some of the teams that they'll play. Yeah, they don't have that deal breaking rivalry game that's automatically needs to be on the schedule. That's and right. that's the difficult thing to kind of figure out at this stage. Uh, last thing for you, what's more likely third straight elite eight for for um, for Muss or eight and four for Pittman in year four? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um Okay, all right, here's a hot take. I'm going to say football going 8 and 4. Hmm. And, and and here's why. Here's why. Get into the NCAA tournament and get into the Elite 8, dude. It's you know, as we all know, it's a crapshoot. It's March Madness, man. Like Arkansas, the fact they made back-to-back ones and, you know, last year beat number 1 overall seed Gonzaga. Incredible. Like getting to that point. How many times have we seen such like last year's Kentucky team was one of their best teams I've had in a long time lost to St. Peter's. Auburn, like it was one of their best teams they've ever had talent-wise. I think it was in the second round of Miami. Like you just never know. But in football, I, I'm telling you, and maybe that's just me getting too excited about it. I think with the new additions and the schedule, to me, the schedule is what lines up best for Arkansas for the first time ever. It's still going to be tough. I'm not trying to say it's not, but all four of your non-conference games, you should win for the first time. You're not playing Cincinnati or anything, but you should win all four of those. You play at Alabama, you would win that game no matter where it's at. You play at LSU, not saying you will for sure not win it, but 
it's going to be a tough game no matter what. So you're not going to win that one. But then at Ole Miss, man, you destroyed them last year and you've done really good against them. You're not afraid of them. Mississippi State don't really know about Arnett and how he's going to you know work out. He could be great. He could be not. Hugh Freeze at Auburn could also be great in year one, but maybe it takes a little bit. Missouri, you should hopefully win that game finally. But even the the rotating East team at Florida, Florida's got some pretty big problems right now. And so don't really know what they're going to look like. But my point is in the AM game, who the crap knows because that game in Arlington every year is dumb and stupid and hog fans are tired of it. But the point is, is that if you told me that Arkansas went eight and four next year, I wouldn't be surprised based on the schedule. Not necessarily just, oh, how much talent they have and everything, but I just think the schedule sets up nicer for them. So I think it's more likely they go eight and four then Arkansas goes to the Elite Eight this year in basketball. But I'll take either one of them. I will take either <laughs> one of them and be completely and totally happy and satisfied. I didn't throw a baseball one in there because I'm like, I don't even know how to handicap that so early in the year. <laughs> that's that's brutal. Everything would sound like too reactionary. We're, we're recording this in like Tennessee's what start off 0-2. Like, I don't know how to figure out baseball at this stage of the game. Get to the yeah. College World Series, figure it all out once you get there. Yeah, well, right now, I think uh, with baseball, it's so funny because the only thing that is like getting at the College World Series is great and everything, but the only thing that's going to impress Razorback fans is just winning it all because that's literally the only... They've had Golden Spike winners. They've had SEC tournament titles, SEC regular season titles, been to the World Series. They've done it all. Literally, the only thing left is winning it all. So uh, the only way you can handicap is maybe say like, hey, what's more likely Arkansas makes the Elite Eight or Arkansas wins it all in the College World Series which hopefully that happens because seeing Mississippi State and Ole Miss win at the back to back years is just <laughs> that might be the worst thing for Razorback fans to have to deal with, too. So but again, it's it's got a long season in front of us, though, but hopefully the success starts to pick up and hopefully the spring ends up going a little bit better than the fall for the sports in Arkansas. John, appreciate the time. Hogs by 90. That's right. Every single time, baby. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking traveling for work. Will, you've got a little work trip planned next week. Not little, but pretty significant. So you're going to be away from the pod for a minute. What mm-hmm. is your your work trip that, that you got coming up? All right, guys. So for Bounce TV, one of the networks I work on, uh, we have a premiere for a show called uh, Act Your Age. Shameless plug here. It's got uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. Um, which, you know, you've probably seen her in Community. It's got, uh, you know, lots of other co-stars and it's like an ensemble cast. So look it up if you haven't heard of it. Um, it. Basically, it's about kind of these older black ladies and them struggling with kind of being single, still trying to have fun while acting their age. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the premiere for a show called Act Your Age. Um, and basically, we're going to L.A. and then New York. Um, and so we're going to do a premiere in L.A., a little red carpet, get, you know, some Hollywood sign shots, do our thing there, recap video, then fly across the country, go to New York, uh, do the same thing. So a version of the job I did for SDS, but just instead of in, you know, Columbia, now we're in bi-coastal. So, yeah, it's always nice to go back and do a little bit of shooting, a little bit of editing, since now I'm a little bit more of a management role. But, you know, whenever these type of projects come up, they're like, well, you know, it's like the old, like, uh, I'm too dang old for this, the Murtaugh. Like every every time they need a special fun, I'm just like, I got you, let's do it. So you lean into traveling for work. Yes, I do. And now that's because it's five to six times a year. Now, if it was 12 to 15, maybe not so much. Sure. When I think traveling for work, I think got to be overnight. But I guess you can make the you can make the case that sometimes it's like a long day's drive and you have at least one meal somewhere that would count as traveling for work. Um, but I, when I think of it, I, I think you're flying somewhere like you are, you're flying across the country. You're going to be staying in a hotel somewhere. They're going to be covering it. Not really a whole lot of, you know, like, Oh, or, 
what are we doing here? You're only going there because you're there for work. And if you can find other things to do there that aren't work related, then that's a different story. But yeah, similar to you, five, six times a year, that's kind of the way that I like to do it. Not an every weekend deal. I talk about it all the time. The fact that there are people in this business that travel every single weekend for a game is bananas to me. I'm not wired that way. I like, I, I don't really think flying for every single regular season game is something that I absolutely need to do. Um, like if we're going somewhere, we're doing it to make content for the weekend or if it's a case like Lexington 2021, I did reporting for two pieces while I was there and I was able to get, you know, the facilities tour and got to spend time with my brother there. So it was a little bit of a different story. I want work trips and I don't know if you're wired this way. I want work trips to be efficient because it's very easy for them not to be. And I don't right. like that. That, that eats at me. Like when I go to SEC media days for four days, I'm putting in work, like writing columns. We're, we're podcasting, we're getting interviews. We're meeting with important people, you know, with, with specific teams, important people in media, like doing two dozen radio hits while we're like, we're, we're making sure we're efficient. And for me, I, I tell myself that when I'm spending company money to do something, the last thing that I want is for them to ever ask me, is it worth it for me to be there? I want yes. that to always, like when I come back, I want them to always be like, oh yeah, it's a good thing that you were there. Good thing that you did this, this, and this. And here, we're signing off on this. Like if I go on a work trip that costs $600 and I do like one piece of content that I could have done from my house, I don't really feel good about that. I, 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 I struggle with that. There are people that like, hey, send me wherever. If you tell me that I need to be at this conference, all right, fine. That's a different story. My industry doesn't really work like that as much. It's kind of you get out what you put into it. Right. But I don't know. Like that's always on my mind when I travel for work. And I I, I might be in the minority with that because there are other people who are just like, oh, hey, you're going to send me here, here, and here. Yeah, sign me up. I'll do whatever, you know, I'll, I'll punch the clock and I'll do what needs to be done. But I've just never been wired that way. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. And like, this is one of the things that, you know, or why we get along so well, just by being so different is that like, I had to learn how to relax on work trips, I had to learn how to mm. go to a dinner and, you know, put it on the company card, and have fun and, you know, go out after we're done doing stuff. Because like, for me, I'm like, I'm like the Terminator, I pull up, I got a job to do. Like when we shot uh, this award show in LA, one of the last times I traveled um, for work, I pulled up, I literally like had like, I look like LeBron going to post game. Like I had some beats on, I was wearing all black. I was like sitting there setting up a camera like two hours early. Everybody was like, who's this guy? I'm like, no, I'm network. How's it going? And like, so <laughs> that's my, my workforce is also my coach voice. But like point being, like <laughs> I take it, like I take it too seriously. And people are like, dude, you want to like go get some drinks or something? I'm like, no, I'm tired. I've been up, I got to lift in this morning. I'm, I'm ready to go. Cause like my thing is, like you know if you go somewhere with your buddies i'm trying to get to say this there's two elements of it right you know your buddies so if your buddies start doing something you don't like you can say something number two it's chill so if your buddies start doing you know you can just kind of go with the flow with work it's like well you can't tell people that they're kind of stepping on your life you can't tell people like hey no actually we need to get to this event three hours early so i can prep you kind of just have to be like yeah you know whatever works for you and so you know for people like us that's a little bit hard because it's like Oh, like I want to be Mr. Go with the flow cool guy. But at the same time, like I'm not going to be able to relax until my job is totally done. I agree hundred percent. I, I am of that mindset. I am not the type of person that likes to go out the night before I have something big and, you know, have, you know, have a night, so to speak, right. tie one on that. That's never. Now, if we're talking afterwards, work's already been done two beer Connor, we're going to extend probably into the four beer range. All right. right. We're going to get a little bit deeper into that. Or, you know, if it's in the middle, like 
Wednesday of SEC Media Days is kind of the day that everybody everybody cuts loose a little bit because it's like you only have one more day for Media Days. People usually travel back on that Thursday anyways. So it's kind of like, all right, the damage has been done. You, you did what you needed to do when you're there. But yeah, I can't relax in that sort of way. I just can't. And like, or, you know, if I'm going somewhere to do a story and I'm doing a story the next day, I'm like, I, I'd like to be able to get early night sleep, you know, maybe go out for a dinner or something like that, but like kind of back in bed early to make sure that I'm, I'm doing what I'm there to do and I'm feeling good while I'm doing it and not just wishing that it was like over or something like that. I just hate being in that mindset when I'm on a work trip, different story yeah. if you're at home or something, but when you're on a trip, there's just like a different set of guidelines that, that just like creep into my brain. Yeah. And like, my thing is too, and like, you know, me, like I'm, I've always been an avid traveler. I grew up kind of on the road between Baton Rouge and Pensacola because my parents were split up. And so traveling has never really been a big deal to me. And so like, my take is always like, whenever I start to do something, I'm like, Oh, if you're here for fun, where are the homies? Where's your girlfriend? Where are the homies? <laughs> I start to like think about it. And it's like, should you go to this next bar? It's like, oh no, you're here for fun. Where are the homies? Exactly. <laughs> it's just like if you wanted to be in that environment to where you really cut loose and start telling jokes and start cracking on people, where where are your boys? Because they're the ones that you do that with. You don't do that with your coworkers because you just never know if somebody could take it the wrong way and sober up the next day and be like, yo, did he make a joke about my weight? And then they just harbor that forever. <laughs> right. So like I'm always paranoid about saying something while I'm at two beers in, even, you know? Efficiency is important and priorities important. Mm -hmm. I am not, however, the guy who will look for the cheapest hotel possible. I'm not that's that shocking guy. to me. No, 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 no. Like my whole my old boss back in Nebraska, Buck Mahoney. Shout out Buck Mahoney. Uh, he's a legend. He's exactly what you think his name sounds like. <laughs> he's great. Um, he would always stay in the cheapest hotel or motel possible. And he basically expense zero meals while he was there, except for the one big one that he would have at the very end. And that would be it. Like he'd get a steak from Outback or something. Like he earned that steak. He made sure that, and that was his way of kind of like, all right, we're going to, we're going to loosen up a little bit. I know I earned this meal, something to be able to kind of look forward to. And he was, that's how he does like all. And I went on several trips with him and he would always do that. I, when I go to a hotel or when I'm scouting hotels for a work trip or something like that, or let's say it's the SEC championship, um, I'm, I'm staying at a place that is not less than a hundred dollars and less no it's less it's less than two hundred dollars but more than a hundred dollars somewhere probably like closer to like 170 is the about as much as i'll go on a given room you never know with taxes and all that crap but two hundred dollars a night for a hotel looks scary on the expense form and i don't right. want to have to justify that i just want to have to be able to say to my bosses i stayed at a place that didn't suck and i didn't have to worry for my safety yeah, I think um, I'm, I got really lucky because there's a, one of my coworkers is just an absolute big baller and it does not affect her at all to put that stuff like one of our, our hotel in LA. I saw the number. and I was like, are you serious? But she had booked it before me. Like she booked her team and then I booked my team. So I was like, now I'm just going with the flow. This is the perfect situation for me. And so like it's that's my thing is like, you know, sometimes you see these bills in like these bigger cities and you're just like. I couldn't even justify this. And then, you know me, like when I do, well, I do big, when I do personal trips, there are some of these bills that I'm just like, you couldn't catch me dead flying this Delta flight. That would be $700 for a mortal, because that's the crazy thing. Once you get into big corporate travel, they have these accounts where they get like discounts True. and you can get duped really quickly into thinking like, oh yeah, dude, a Delta flight to LA is 250 bucks. And you look and you're like, you're trying to do it. And you're like, yeah, maybe if I book in 2025, 
Yeah, the the corporate card and the, those discounts and the way that that can factor into work expenses, it, that is a game changer. And it can kind of skew your mindset with certain trips. And, you know, like there's, I know in journalism, it's like they have like some sort of like Marriott thing. If you have a corporate card, that that to me is like, is different than, an ex, than filling out ex, your expense form or something like that. Does it create, and I've never had a corporate card, but you're in a situation where, where that's a little bit more, more of the norm. Does, does it change your mindset of how you spend having a corporate card versus just like expensing it and putting it on your own personal card? I, I think so. And like, have you ever had to do a, a T&E report? No. Oh man, those are nerve wracking for me, for me personally, because like, for instance, okay, if you go through our, um, our travel matrix and you book the hotel, right? If you don't book the cheapest option within the hotel, so the hotel you can pick, but once you are offered, if you don't pick the cheapest option, you have to write and explain why you didn't pick the cheapest option. And so there's one that I had, the one that I got was like the extended stay rate was something. And then the regular rate was something else. I was like, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to book an extended stay rate because I don't even know how that works. And I want to pull up and have them be like, well, that you don't qualify for that. So I'll just like put it in there. I was like typing the whole time. Like, "Ah." and so like point being like, it's those reports can get so stressful because they make it seem so like what did you really need to do this are you sure you needed this da, 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 da. and then if you have a cool boss like i mean my boss has always been about it when it comes to travel and it's like okay like dude yeah duh. like a good example is uh checking bags so if you take your third bag on delta it's 375 dollars. i don't know if you know that it's 375 dollars wait, 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 wait 375 dollars for for what specific like 75 dollars you mean no the right? third bag you track you track is because it goes it's like free I think 75 and then 375 and that I remember like sitting there, like I called my boss and I was like, dude, if you need me to like break down my gear and try to like shove it in my bags, like I'm not trying to He's like, dude, you need the bag. You're using it. Like, don't worry about it. I was just like, okay. Yes, sir. (laughs) That's, that's the key thing that I always kind of default to. Am I doing this? Am I spending this on a hotel to make sure that I could do my job effectively? Right. there's a difference and it gets a little bit difficult, especially when you're trying to book places to say in or around college towns or something like that. I'm like, all right, what's the furthest that I can go where I'm not like, you know, I, I'm not going to book a place that's like an hour and a half away right. from, from this place. And then what's the point of, of even going to it in the first place? You're like, all right, yeah, I don't need to stay downtown Atlanta when we, when we go, you know, cover the SEC championship. Can I stay at a place that's a 15 minute Uber right away? Yeah, easily. Who cares? That, that doesn't Hold make on. Would you ever difference. book an Airbnb for work travel? For work travel, we have booked Airbnbs. We did an Airbnb at SEC Media Days in 2019, but no, like for, for, for like personal use. No, no, no. Like, yeah. Let's say you got to go to, I'm not trying to, uh, what is the most remote college town? Um, uh, let's say college station, just Clemson, South Carolina. <laughs> okay. Great example. What great example. Uh, let's say you're going to Clemson, South Carolina. Do you start to look at Airbnbs and stay in somebody's place or do you, do you just go straight hotel every time? No. And I don't really like, it's tough because we've, we've had a few things set up with like past sponsors. Yeah. Um, who have like hooked us up with hotel rooms and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the games that I go to, I go to games that are in the big city, like the bigger cities, like in Atlanta or something like that. Um, So it's a little bit difficult to say, but I haven't delved into that as much. I usually try if it's staying in a college town hotel, at least hopefully like 20 minutes away or something like that. I'm not trying to get a 45 minute Uber ride. I'm not trying to do that. But some of these rates are just like, 
they're insane. They're absolutely bananas. I don't know how people justify spending this when they have like a week to book or something like that, when it's like, oh, quick turnaround time. And then you're just, I mean, I guess hotels are booked a lot further in advance, but no, I mean, I will, and I'll, and I cue my bosses in before booking anything usually. Right. That's, a, that's a key part of this too, that I think you can tell yourself, oh, I'm spending within my means because this is how I would spend outside of work. And sometimes your guidelines are either more extravagant or less, way less extravagant when it comes to like spending on hotels, spending on meals and stuff like that. I have a mental rule for meals. I try and keep it less than 20 bucks per meal. I try. How? So that's a good question. <laughs> Most of the time, if if I'm covering an event, press box food is there. Right. So you, you split get, the difference. You throw in a press box that you get some of those 40 bucks and you make it 20 average. I'll see you. Okay. No, 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 no. I just eat like two meals or three meals worth in the press box. <laughs> I mean, a king move. that's I'm, so much I'm better than what I suggested. I'm not alone. Uh, and then well, if you go to those Chick-fil-A ones in Atlanta, though, brother, I'd be smuggling those things. I'm, I haven't done that yet, but I would be smuggling that in my suit jacket. You better than me. <laughs> I was sitting there like I was sitting there. I think it was at the SEC championship. I'm like, I'm not even hungry right now. Why am I? Why am I eating a Chick Fil A sandwich when I've had like probably 2,000 calories in the last like four hours? Like, what are what are we doing here, Connor? What are let's because it's make free. Some better That's why. What do you mean? I know it's just sitting right there too. But um, yeah, I don't. So like, I don't really. If you're going to a dinner with you know company dinner or something like that, and you know that it's going to be taken care of, this is these are the arrangements. Other people have taken care of that. You're good. Like you're already at the place. You know, if you're out, if everybody's out here ordering something, like I think you're well within your means to order, you know, a nicer meal as long as it it, it doesn't like turn heads. You're not sitting there ordering top shelf bourbon or something like that. That's another question. Do you ever expense anything alcohol related for work? Um, yeah, I do. We have uh, there's a rule, and I want to say it's like I I think it's one or two drinks. I I usually so. Our rule, and this is a really smart rule, is that the the reigning highest ranking executive is the one who pays. And oh. so me, I actually don't think I've done a trip while I even been higher than the lowest rung. This would be my first one that I'll technically be, and, and that I'll be on rank two. It's not like I'm not five, but I, I finally will have like not, so I, I will probably be paying a lot but usually what happens is the bosses get to be cool and be like oh you want to drink you want to drink i got you i got my card versus everyone just kind of being like what do we do here you know uh, yeah see like that that's totally foreign to anything i've ever experienced i'm always like all right we're we're gonna i'm gonna make sure or you'll tell the server yeah alcohol on a, on a separate tab or something like that meal is covered by the company but if you know we're out to dinner or something like that and I want to have a uh, have a couple of beers, have an old fashioned or something like that. I'm like, yeah, I'm just always going to put this on the other tab, just because I never even want to have that conversation. Is it worth having that conversation over like an eight dollar drink? No, it never is. Like, who really cares in the grand scheme of things? And if you start to do that, then that's probably more of like, hey, then then the bill starts to kind of creep into like you know thirty forty dollar range. Then they're like, what kind of dinners are you going to, Connor? Like, what 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 are we doing here? And then I, I don't want, I just never want that interaction. I never want that interaction with somebody above me that says, why did you spend this at this specific place? I can always justify flights. I go for, oh, we didn't, we didn't address that. Work is paying for it. There's a spirit flight. There's a Delta flight. Spirit flight is half the price of the Delta flight. 
same time, let's just say like give or take 20 minutes, it's not going to make or break your trip. You go in spirit, you go in Delta. Oh, I'm going Delta every time. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. There's a Delta flight everywhere. Exactly. That's the thing. That's a cheat code. You know what I'm saying? So you can even find cheap Delta flights in Atlanta because they're like, somebody please get on this plane. This plane's been sitting here for three days. We need to do something with this. Yeah, don't tell my bosses. Uh, we're doing Delta if that's if that's the case. But yeah. but I do Frontier all the time. I used to take that Frontier flight from Atlanta on that Sunday morning. Like a good amount and never had any sort of issues with Frontier. I'm sure people listening to this have issues with Frontier. I'm sure people listening to this have had issues with Delta. But yeah, an interesting conundrum uh, nonetheless. We've got a few uh, responses in the Saturday Night South podcast Facebook. If you Hold on really not- quick. Before you get to that, I will give one pro tip that uh, someone in my company told me. If you are ever uh, feeling a little bit squeamish the way we've been descri- describing about paying for stuff, hang out with executives. The dude was like, hey, great reason to do that. See how they kind of operate. You know, if you get a drink in front of an executive, it's common courtesy for them to pick it up for you. Or you could offer to get theirs and then you're a baller. But it's like, don't, you know, hang out with your team and just just your team and then have this big bill. Go use that as a way to be like, hey, you know, how's it going, man? I haven't really talked to you. Let's sit down, like have a drink, toast it up. And then they should by the politeness pick it up for you but if they don't you just pick up your own drink or or offer to pick up theirs and so like that's a major key is like you know it, it, work travel puts you in situations at bigger companies around executives that you never are so definitely like, get outside of yourself and say like okay it's not like you're trying to like scam anyone you just want to be part of the part of the squad and it's better to do that and ingratiate yourself with someone above you than it would be someone on your level because then you just look like you're hanging out with the boys like i was saying then you look like your team is just getting you know you're having a good old time but if it's like oh no we're talking about you know talking about some real stuff we're gonna know each other that that feels a lot better than oh we're just gonna go tear it down you know yeah, and those settings, if you can get in them, great. A lot of people probably don't even get in the same sort of social circles with the executive of their company or something like that. Now, if you're all in the right. same place at the same time, yeah, by all means, um, that that would, that would be a great opportunity. But that, that I would always be so in my head about that. I'm like, dude, all right, so should I offer to pay for their drink? If, if I if I pay for it myself, am I you know doing something where I'm going to like write it off? I'm never going to put that on an expense form. I'm always going to try and cover that. Exactly. But, like what's what's the dynamic there? I'm so unfamiliar in those settings that I would I would probably just overthink it and say something really stupid. You know, but that's that's knowing yourself. That's the key. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. All right, let's go to the Saturday on South Podcast Facebook group. Thank you to everybody who responded. Let's start with this one from Grant Haney. Uh, we got a horror story here from a work travel experience. My first year coaching, I was uh voluntold. Uh, okay. Uh, have you never heard that? That's a great one. Voluntold. Voluntold. I'm going to have to work that into my vocab now. I'm oh, still that's the that. life that's of a writer. writer. It's like, hey, we're thinking about a story like that. You just got voluntold to do that story. Yeah. All right. I love that. <laughs> uh, I was voluntold that I'd be driving the staff to a coaching clinic in Austin. Since it was a school-related travel, we used the, the school district's SUV with the school's name plastered on the side, uh, the ride, as if it were an advertisement on a minor league baseball fence. An hour into the trip, the check engine light came on, and I was strongly encouraged to ignore it. Suffice to say, a second light came on before we got to Austin. After telling the AD of the issue, he said, just don't drive it much, which was fine, until the same coaches that had me drive wanted me to take him to IHOP at 12 a.m. <laughs> on the way there, the car began to lock up and they instructed me to pull over into the parking lot that, unbeknownst to me, was a strip club. 
Two of the coaches volunteered to try and, quote, get help inside, leaving me and the other coaches left to decide who was going to make the uncomfortable call. No more awkward feeling as a first-year coach than having to explain why the school vehicle was being towed from a gentleman's club. We wound up getting a rental to take us home, but for two months when someone needed to borrow the company car, I got to hear about jokes and having to explain why they couldn't. A lot to unpack there. Um. Look, Grant, I think you're in the clear here. I think I think you're in the clear. I I think that if you're the one that has to explain repeatedly why you were at said gentleman's club on a work trip, um, I think you got to pass that off because clearly from the sounds of it, you were not at all. Um, and you were in a situation in which obviously, you know, you're supposed to be going to IHOP, just doing what doing what dudes do, going to IHOP at midnight. That's why it's the International House of Pancakes. But that is just so awkward at every phase, every single phase. Who's going to see this logo? Like if you're driving by and you see that, that's like some Hope Solo stuff. Google that one, kids. Yeah. Things not to do with a company vehicle. <laughs> Hope Solo. Yeah, that's uh, that's just awkward. That's just awkward. Work trips can get awkward in a hurry. That's that's a prime example of how that that can escalate. Ugh, I want no part of that. So a couple of things here. <laughs> these guys, first off, you should have known those are your first two red flags there. These guys wanted to go to IHOP instead of Waffle House. All right. You knew these guys were not Foxhole guys when they Correct. told you IHOP instead of Waffle House. Second, I'm here to tell you right now, as a first year coach, I don't care what I got to do. But if you catch me, if we're in this situation, uh, you are not going to mic price me. We are going to strap up some type of a uh, latch, some type of a rope, and me and the O-line coach or the D-line coach will be pulling this truck to at least the next location. We'll put the flashers on. We will get one stop over at least before notifying anyone. I don't care because even in the slightest of chances that this could be my fault, I would rather take my chances on the highway with my flashers on getting to the next pullout then stuck there because all that takes is one call and these coaches going inside for me to be like hey you guys stay inside that's all good me and old uh me and old jimbo the o-line coach we're about to just run a little Oklahoma drill we're gonna get over to this uh with wendy's here then we're gonna figure it out that would be my step one because i know <laughs> they were not making that decision sober they there's a zero percent chance of that if you're yeah. going IHOP at midnight, that's not a sober decision in the first place. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like you, yeah, like you're in the conference. So those guys, like, I'm trying to think about the way that I would forgive someone for doing that to me. As far as like going inside after that, bro, I'm pretty much done with you because you've kind of put me in a bad situation that you are now also like instead of helping me, you've made it worse. Yeah, that's that's a tough one to get out of. Just so awkward. Oh, that's bad. Uh, our guy Emery says in December of 2017, I was sent to Denver to help out the local office with installing some fire sprinklers in the large resort that was recently built next to the airport. We worked four by tens, one by eight and one by six, meaning we had one day off in the three weeks we were there. We went to a ton of local restaurants, a local brewery, the giant Coors brewery, great stop, uh, hiked part of the continental divide, spent a day in Keystone, went to the casinos and Blackhawk and a few other things. My goodness. Uh, depending on how long you want to, you want to have in an area, you can, uh, do a ton of stuff that trip made the Denver area one of my favorite cities this is a great point about knowing where you're going knowing what you have to do and not freaking out about how much you have to do because I think I would look at a trip like that wherein you're working six days a week 
and say, oh man, like I'm just going to need that one day to be able to relax. You're in Denver, live it up. I love Denver. Right. Denver's Denver is a, such a great place to get sent to for that amount of time and to be able to kind of map out, all right, I've got, I know I'm going to have this to do, but let's do this, this, and this. Let's experience all that a place like that has to offer. You never know when you're going to be back. Life is short. That that type of work trip is is ideal. If you can cram all of those different things in, because it sounds like you guys plan this stuff as well. And you weren't just like, oh yeah, we we found a bar that we liked and we just went here, you know, every single day. That is a great way to do a work trip. That is efficiency. And it makes me want to go back to Denver right now. You know, of course, this is a great time to talk about the NBA All-Star game. So if, if you is guys have heard of, is it? If you guys have heard, you know the, the NBA All Star Game was last weekend, and two SEC legends, uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley, were saying on the broadcast, like, "Ah, there's nothing to do here. Like, where do you go to restaurants here in Salt Lake City?" Let me tell you something. Going out west like that is the perfect location for a work trip because you know if you want to go out and you know get hammered, or if you want to go to a strip club, the West is not exactly the best location in America. But if you want to have some good, clean fun, if you want to go hiking, if you want to go sightseeing, if you want to see some mountains, sure. if you want to go to a brewery, if you want to go do like wake up and have, have live your best life type of vibes, that's going to do better for you than a Houston or a Miami because those places are a little bit too fun to take a work trip to. I would rather take a work trip to Denver or Salt Lake City or anywhere you know up in that area because there's so many fun things I can do without kind of getting the ire of my employer whatsoever. Exactly. You get a you get a week long trip to Vegas. You got a week long convention in Vegas. My brother used to do that with uh with his previous job, and by the end of it, you're like, I mean, and and not to say like they're getting like turned up every single night, but by the end of it, you're like, gosh, get me out of here. Whereas Denver's a place where you're like, oh, there's still other things that we could be doing and other places that we could be exploring. Yeah, that is that is such an ideal location and a good observation. It, it, as fun as it would be to be told, "Oh, you're going to Vegas for you know for a work trip," you, you're you're balancing that with, "I want to not be an idiot. I want to not overdo it." As great as it it is to hear the words, "We're sending you to Vegas. We're going to cover the cost of it." They're also not covering like your gambling costs and all the fun stuff. So it, it is a little bit of a catch twenty two there. But Denver got to be like a top three place to be sent for three weeks for work. I would think. Yeah. And, and, and the thing too, is, you know, a week or even five days in Vegas, I mean, the gap between people like us and people that go to have a good time is massive. Cause by that point we've already gone out two or three times and we're like, that is it for me for weeks, buddy. I'm yes. going to go take a nap. And the, those people are like, come on, like, come on out like that. And you're just like, no, I told you no three days ago. What do you think has changed? I'm still hungover from going out three days ago. No. Exactly. And then it's just awkward. Cause it's like, now, now I would look like I'm not about it. But in reality, it's like, We've been here a week, dog. I want to go home. I guess they where are my boys if I'm in Vegas? Like, where, where are the homies? Keep where, are the homies? where are the homies? If I'm in Vegas, I'm here to get, do stuff, get, you know, make some memories with the boys. I'm not trying to do that with you because you won't see me like that. Exactly. Exactly. Let's end with this one from Michael Dark before we go to Lad of the Week. Uh, he says, I chaperoned for a field trip last year to Osabaugh Island. Um, yeah, he says one of the Georgia Barrier Islands that's only acceptable by boat. Uh, accessible by boat. Uh, I definitely pronounced that wrong. I apologize. One of our students got lost. So I went to look for him on my own. I pretty much spent two hours on my own in complete silence. The student was found and I got to hang out with wild donkeys that the original owner of the Island uh, left after she passed away. Best field trip ever. He's got a selfie with a donkey because that's what you do when you lose a kid. Great work trip ends. Well, had some donkeys had fun. Nobody got hurt or anything. 
I've been laughing at this pick this entire time because like mentally <laughs> I'm in a place of like Delta or Spirit. How about this city? What about this like Marriott points? And then I like look in the group and there's just this picture of Michael and a donkey making the same face. And I'm like, I know we're going to get there. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I know that's how this travel story is going to end. Yes. All right. Let of the week. Uh, we got the same one. Jimmy Carter. <sighs> Home hospice care for our boy. The most frequently referenced president in an apolitical way on this here Saturday Down South podcast. We're wishing the best for our boy, Jimmy. We really are. Hated seeing that. When you sent me that text, stomach just dropped. Jimmy Carter's a lad, forever a lad. And still alive, but we know we're preparing for it. Yes. Uh, Jimmy Carter has a very interesting legacy. You know, people that lived through it would say he wasn't maybe the best president, but almost everybody would say he was the best man to be president. He was, mm. you know, uh, 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 I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite podcast hosts, Robert Evans, who's like a leftist, is like Jimmy Carter is the only good man to never be president. And that kind of got me like researching him a while back. And that's one of the reasons why we joke about him so much, because it's just, you know, not only does he, his era apparently had lots of sports records set, but also it's just a very interesting period in American history, talking about kind of like the end of that Vietnam era. But he, you know, has just a very interesting career. You talk about, you know, um, he went to Tech, so obviously Georgia fans think whatever about him, but he's been a great steward for the state of Georgia. He's a guy that, you know, whenever I started learning about my new home state in Georgia, he's one of the first guys I looked up. You know, he had a great naval career. Um, he, he, you know, has all these great pictures of him and these like naval regalia, the, the, the dress whites, you know, and he was quite an attractive man when he was younger. Um, and then he still is. <laughs> Right. And yeah, exactly. Like, and, 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 uh, has like a whole, you know, very pro farming, uh, did like had a family farm. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of like a Southerner through and through, you know, it was a type of Martin Luther King invited him uh, to the state house and upset the Ku Klux Klan, which is always a great thing to do if you're a politician in the South is kind of bridge that gap. So yeah, not, not speaking on his policies. I know that, you know, people kind of go either way on that. Um, but in terms of, in terms of just being a dude, you know, he's a good example of, if you're a good dude, it's hard to be a good president because you really yes. have to compromise so many times. You have to be kind of a backstabber. And a lot of the issues with his presidency were him just being too much of a lad, being being too, you know, too, too uh, nice. And I think that, you know, with the Jimmy Carter Foundation, the great things he's done in the state of Georgia, one of my neighbors works over there and does amazing work for them, um, cleaning up, you know, river water and stuff. And so, like, yeah, I, I think that the impact uh, that he has had is, is goes far beyond his one term presidency. When Jimmy Carter does indeed pass, we will be making a lot more Jimmy Carter references. So if you think you heard a lot before, more are coming. Uh, it's honor the oldest living presidents. Hope he is doing well. Hope he gets to go in peace. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at Sat Down South. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. Do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group and hear your name red on air with figuring out what bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.